take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 3. We're going to be jumping back into the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3. If you remember what we have said about the book of Acts thus far, we have said that this is, in similar, similar ways, this is like the Gospel of Luke. In fact, we might even call this the Gospel of Luke, part 2. It's a history lesson of sorts of the actions of the early church and, and what the early church did to make the name of Jesus known in the world. And so today's sermon will be entitled, A Beggar is Healed. A Beggar is Healed. But not only does this episode show the case of a beggar who was healed by God, but shows the importance of a man who was spiritually blind and yet was transformed into a worshiper of the Lord. And because of the power of the name of Jesus, this man was healed. We, we sing this song often. It's a song of the faith. Sometimes we sing it at gravesides. Sometimes we sing it on morning worship together. The song Amazing Grace who has almost become the DNA of the followers of Jesus. And the one line in that song that we all know so well is, I was once blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now the Lord has set me free. The Lord has granted salvation. What an amazing grace that that is, to think that I was dead in my trespass and sin and and somehow by the death of a, a lowly carpenter's son on a cross some 2,000 some years ago that he took my sin upon himself and became my substitute. Where I was blind and a beggar, the Lord gave redemption. And so I think in some ways we can relate to the beggar. We certainly can relate to the evangelist that we see here today. And so if you'll give me just a few moments in a sermon I've, called, I've entitled, A Beggar is Healed, I want to look through two uh, particular lenses, two different lenses today. The first will be through the lens of the apostles Peter and John, the evangelists Peter and John, and then we'll look through the lens of this beggar who is also lame. So if you will, join me as we read God's Word. I'll ask you if you'll stand for the reading of the sacred scripture, God's infallible and errant word, who gives directions and points to Jesus, who is the centerpiece of our worship. Let's read Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and, and said, Look at us. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up and Immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. 
leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them. He was walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word before us today. Demonstrate through your word, Father, how we are both evangelist and beggar, the tension, Lord, between sinner and saint. I pray that you would give us enlightenment through your word. By your Holy Spirit, help us to make much of Jesus. God, that you will take the heart today that is the heart of stone, and you will put that heart of flesh, make that new heart as only you can do. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in our snapshot this week, I want to kind of peer back a little bit. So far we know that Peter had preached a sermon where 3,000 people were saved. And the Bible tells us that the Lord added to the church daily. And people are coming to saving faith in Jesus. They're hearing the preached word. They're knowing that they must repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Messiah as their Lord and as their Savior. They devoted themselves to the preaching and devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to hearing and learning and growing in community. They had true fellowship one with another. This koinonia fellowship, this commonality in Jesus. That was their fellowship, the commonality in Jesus Messiah. They were then moved to reverent worship. They were moved to worship Jesus Messiah. And then the Lord will begin to perform signs and wonders through the acts of the apostles. Through the apostles' hands, we'll see as today, we'll see uh, lame men come up off, off their bed and walk. We'll see signs and wonders through the hands of the apostles to authenticate the work that is being done is from, is from the Lord. The Bible tells us towards the end of Acts chapter 2 that the people began to look at their culture. They began to look out now intently, looking out in their culture. And they began to examine the lives and situations of people. And as they looked out and as they examined their culture, they were moved to take their possessions and to sell their possessions and to give to all of those who had need. They had a wonderful reputation of being the Christ ones, the, one that's, the ones that follow Jesus Christ. One of the points of application was this, that we must get back to the place where we as a church, we as followers of Christ, we have an above reproach reputation with others. That would say that no longer would people be able to say, well, there's hypocrites in the church. To strive for this above and beyond, above reproach reputation. Wouldn't that be a glorious day? To where there would be no disputing or murmuring like we spoke of last week within the church. It would give nobody ammunition whatsoever to say that there's hypocrites in them hills. And we do so because it gives an avenue for the good news message. Nobody wants to hear that Jesus saves from, from somebody that is known to be a hypocrite. 
They went to the church daily. They praised God. They worshiped God daily. And the Bible tells us that the Lord added to the church daily. What an amazing display of God's grace. We spoke of God's grace. An amazing display of God's grace. This gospel explosion that was happening all around them. And God was adding to the church. We, we talk about this revival today. And we've been hearing it for the last couple of weeks about God moving in pockets and raising up revival. And whether or not that's authentic revival or not. Is that for us to say? I don't know. But, but an authentic revival will bring lasting fruit. A revival that is brought on by God and true people repenting will have lasting fruit. In fact, I would go as far as to say the level of commitment and emotional outpouring during said revival services, the fruit should match. The fruit should match that overexpression and emotion. If it is of the Lord, I want my fruit to match what happened in those sanctuaries and chapels across the world. And we talk about revival today, but God in the early history of the church is bringing spiritually dead people to life. It's not revival, it's viving. Is that a word? To, to vive, to make alive. He's bringing them alive. And there are a couple of viewpoints. Again, I want, to, I want us to look through. And, and uh, for us, this passage, these passages before us, a couple of different ways I want to look through this. Number one, I want to look through the eyes of the evangelist. Through the eyes of the evangelist, this is Peter and John as they say, look at us. As they look at the beggar and say, look at us. And what does that mean for you and I? Are we evangelists? Do we have a good news to share? Are we gospel evangelists today? So look at verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple, the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. Now, I want us to go ahead and get this out of the way. This is not a chronicle. This is not an exhortation on why it's important for a follower of Christ to go to church. And although we can make that application, even though we can draw the connections, nobody had to tell, and, we'll, and we will in just a moment, but nobody had to tell the apostles and disciples that once they are new believers, new babes in Christ, that they need to go to worship. Nobody had to tell them, tell them that it was ingrained in their DNA already. It was ingrained within them. Nobody had to tell them this to go to church. And even though this narrative is not about the importance of Christ followers to go to church, and even though we can draw the application and the connection there, this narrative is about the power of God to save the wretch and to save the beggar. Now, we do not see whether or not this beggar, and we'll see this in a moment, we do not see whether or not this beggar bowed his knee and repented under the name of Jesus. But what we do know is that Luke, the evangelist, says that this man will go and he will worship in the temple. But we do know that this man is going to be healed by the Lord Jesus. And so this is the power of God to heal and to save. The narrative shifts through the lens of Luke as he begins to demonstrate how the Lord added to the church daily. At the end of Acts chapter 2, there's this there's this phrase we see, and the Lord added to the church daily. And you say, how did God add to the church daily? Luke responds, this is how the Lord will add to the church daily. And what proceeds from chapter 3 is an appropriate answer to that question. 
So, let's notice the furthered actions of the apostles. Here's Peter and John who are together often in the book of Acts. They are tag team. I like to call them the tag team champions of evangelism in the early portions of Acts. They are like the tag team champions of the world as far as evangelism. That is before the apostle Paul comes on to this thing. But they are still tag team in this regard. They are the tag team evangelist champions of the world. They were partners in their vocation as fishermen. They prepared the Passover meal before the Lord Jesus. Uh, they, listen, they were part of, they were two of the three that were at the Lord's transfiguration. I mean, they were in the inner three. They saw the Lord transfigured. Figured together, they ran into the empty tomb to investigate that the Lord is not here. He's alive. He's risen. They were uh, two of the investigators who looked into the empty tomb together. They were partners in the Lord's work on many different levels. And by the way, it's important that you and I have partners in the ministry. Partners in our walk with the Lord. Like-minded people that will help spurn us along, that will help us uh, to grow in our faith. It's important for you and me to have someone or some people to lean on and encourage you through. I'm probably pretty sure that Peter is glad that he had John with him and the other disciples and apostles as well. To lean upon, to admonish, to, uh, to correct if need be, to rebuke, and that happens if need be. Someone to lean on and someone to encourage throughout the way. I want you to notice after this Pentecostal preaching and this gospel movement that here it is, the disciples were going to church. They were going to pray and they were going to worship. They were going to receive the edification and what they needed in prayer to further through with the mission that the Lord Jesus left them to do. And they did so by praying and seeking the Lord. No one had to tell them, now that you're a new babe in Christ, you need to go to church. No one told them that you need to meet. You need to meet together and you need to worship Jesus Messiah. Until heavy persecution come throughout the early age of the church, this began to be the norm. If you read the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, the first place where he would go often would be the synagogue to reason with his brothers and sisters, but yes, to pray and to worship as well. And so this become part of life. The Jewish believers in Jesus, they went to the temple for prayer. That's where they would go, and then they would meet in their homes together. Luke records that they went into prayer at the 3 o'clock hour at 3 p.m., and, and what we find there at that door is probably not exactly what they were expecting to see at this at the door, maybe they did, but I believe that this is a demonstration of the good news. What I want you to notice through the lens of the apostles, I want you to notice their awareness. It's something about being led by the Holy Spirit of God that gives us awareness of things around us. Notice their awareness, notice their gospel opportunities, and if you're like me, we all too often miss our gospel opportunities that are all around us at all, the time, all times. And if you're like me, sometimes we fail to see that because we are in our tunnel-visioned life. Notice the awareness. They were looking for good news opportunities, and here's what they saw. They saw a layman from birth 
who had been carried, who lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. And there he was asking for alms, asking for money to those that were entering into the temple because they knew that the worshipers that were coming in to that temple were bringing their tithes and offerings and were well prepared in some way if they were rich above and beyond to help them in some way to give them some money to help sustain life. And although we are not told the thoughts of the apostles, we can't interpret their mind. And if you're like me, I think of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. If you remember in Mark chapter 2, it is Jesus that heals this lame man who had been brought by some friends and the friends literally tore the roof off the house to get, G, to get the, their friend down next to Jesus so that Jesus might be able to heal this man. You remember that episode? Remember that narrative? And Jesus said, take up your bed, rise up, walk. He picked his bed up, went home. Jesus healed him, forgave him of his sins and healed him. He made the man whole. And the connection here is that even though this is Peter and John, it is Jesus that still is the healer. It is Jesus that is the healer. And according to chapter 4, verse 22 in the book of Acts, Peter and John are before the council, before the council, and they are instructed not to preach in the name of Jesus. And what do they say? Would we, rather, we would rather obey God than man. And they leapt for joy because they counted it an honor and a privilege to be persecuted in the name of Jesus. But in 4.22, this man... As Peter and John before the council, it is said of this man that he was more than 40 years of age and unable to walk his whole life. 40 years of age, this man had never took a step. He was carried daily, he was bought before the temple so that he could beg for money. The entrance of this temple, as the Bible tells us, is called the beautiful gate. Is more than likely, this is the eastern gate that would lead into where the women were gathered to, to worship. The men would be in an inner court reading scripture and in some way interpreting scripture, oral, the oral transmission of scripture. And the women would be in the outer court, the eastern gate. And here this man would lay. This gate was overlaid with bronze to give us this kind of appearance that it was of gold. And what is an ideal place for a person who was a beggar to lay and ask for alms, you would think. In other words, the man was begging for money in a place that had the means to help him, but for whatever reason, he was not getting the help that he needed. And so Peter and John noticed. They were intentional. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, verse 3, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, Look at us. The man fixed his eyes, his attention on him, expecting to receive some money, something from them. And their eyes connected. The plan of the beggar was to receive some money, some alms for, for, his, uh, for his plight from Peter and John. But the, the Lord had other plans for this man. He gave him something more, much more than silver and gold. And Peter said to this man, look at us. And then that little phrase, if we are not careful, we'll blow right by it not give it consideration at all without ever contemplating its application in our intentionality to share the good news, to look around and see those in need, to look around at our neighbors who are lost. 
Now here are two men. They walked and talked with Jesus. They heard him teach and preach. They touched his hand. They had breakfast with him after the resurrection. And now they are intentional about their interaction. And I began to think about this. And it's very convicting. Maybe that is what you and I need in our lives and our daily interaction with people. Look at us. Now, I'm not saying that to say, look at how holy or self-righteous we might be. Look at us at how elevated we are. No. If we could rephrase that, maybe in our modern day vernacular, we would say, I have something to say to you. Let me tell you a little bit about my faith. But look at us. Not to say that we are perfect and look at us and in our perfections, but look at us. Hear what we have to say about the perfect Savior, Jesus. And that one little command is so impactful. In other words, we must beckon people to hear the good news. And really and honestly, that is the only thing that will truly, perpetually change a person's life. We might not have silver and gold, but salvation in Jesus and eternal life is far more greater. As you know, Piney Grove had the opportunity to go to Ecuador in 2017 and then again in 2019 to minister and to proclaim the good news to the people in the Andes Mountains. And the mission that we had before us was to go to varying villages, different villages, and essentially what would be what we would call a backyard vacation Bible school of sorts. And we would teach children, and the adults were sitting on the outside kind of listening, and they were coloring in their pages too, but we spent time in the Andes Mountain going from village to village, ministering to children, sharing the good news of Jesus. And then on Friday was a, a very special day for us too because we spent the week going up and down the mountain, spent many miles eating some food that you weren't necessarily quite sure of sometimes. So Friday was the day where we would go to the village, to the village uh, market and go sightseeing in the market. This would be the things that we would bring back home or souvenirs or things that could actually make it through customs and wouldn't get caught as we were trying to go through customs, the good chocolate and all those type things in the market, the blankets that they had. And so we spent time sightseeing, going into the market before we made the long trek back home. We stopped at a Catholic church this last time that we were in Ecuador and we went inside and we began to look around. And coming up on the steps, we had been greeted by several people who were sitting and lined up right there at the very entrance of the cathedral. And they were outside on that stoop begging for money. And they were asking for money. We couldn't speak the language. At least I barely knew maybe one or two words in Spanish. And here they are asking for money. And it immediately made me think of the biblical account here of the beggar and in John 9 of the, of the blind man. It made me think of those episodes so we stepped on inside, almost stepped over them, went on inside and looked down this long narthex up towards the platform. You got a, a visual of the front of the church and it looked something like this, overlaid with gold. And over on the side you would see these little um, statues of saints that had been put in there. And, and they had a big, huge, life-size statue of Pope John Paul II. 
Many had to be eight foot tall, eight or nine foot tall. And as you would walk around the parameter, you would see these little kiosks. And you wonder to yourself, well, what are these little kiosks? Almost like a vending machine which you would put a, a dollar bill in. This would be where you would stop along the way and put your dollar bill in and you could pray your loved ones out of purgatory. Put your money into the vending machine. Pay for them to spring from purgatory. Now we know that, that um, the precious blood of Jesus has bought our salvation for us. We do not have to pray our loved ones out of purgatory. But I thought to myself, silver and gold have I none, is a King James Version and rendering of that. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, right, is Christ. That's what we offer. That's what we have is Jesus. And I was a little convicted because I began to reason within myself, as we all do. You got a lost family member. You have a lost um, friend or a co-worker and you begin to reason within yourself much as I did stepping over this beggar I would say well I can't speak the language well we had a translator behind us I began to say I don't know how to relate to them uh, they might be just scamming us and I don't know that you don't know them they're not going to listen to listen to you and I am reasoning all of this over in my head and it challenged me it made me think not only of my own walk with the Lord, but us as a body of believers. And for me, it was to start those conversations with people that will hopefully, hope, hopefully make them think of their own salvation, which is the true healing. The problem is we get caught up in the sightseeing. We get caught up in the everyday situations. And we get tunnel vision. And if you're like me, I haven't taken enough time to stop and gently say, look at me. Listen to the good news. It's the good news of Peter and John that they had, that they offered. Now we have seen through the eyes and through the lens of the evangelist here, Peter and John. And now we're going to turn our attention to the eyes of the beggar. And by the way, we are both like the evangelist and we're like the beggar. There's that tension of saint and sinner simultaneously. Through the eyes of the beggar, a true healing. Look at verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. By Peter looking at this man and addressing this beggar, it is evidence of the Spirit's moving. If you remember Peter's position before the resurrection, Peter ran as fear of persecution. And now Peter has preached and 3,000 people had been saved. Peter was a bold figure for the name of Jesus. And he addressed this beggar by the Spirit's moving. There were many people that were going in and out of the temple who would have been there begging daily and yet this beggar caught the eye of the apostle Peter they had no money I mean they were poor but they offered something that is more precious than silver and gold something that is more precious than money and possessions something more important and more precious than the uh, the uh, amount of money we might have in the bank or how much land that we have or how much credibility we might have in our social standing, something that is more precious than all of those things. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but Jesus should outshine them all. 
What is more precious than silver and gold? This the precious blood of Jesus. So notice the miracle. It will be completed in the power of Jesus. Peter and John, they are the apostolic vessels who oversee this miracle. They are the apostolic overseers of this miracle. The Lord Jesus left them for a work. He gave them not the power in themselves, but the authority in the name of Jesus. They are simply the shepherd, the overseer of this miracle and this signs, this time of signs and wonders. So look at verse 7 through 10. I'm going to read these verses. And they took the man by the right hand and they raised him up. And they had to drag him off his feet. Does it say that? Immediately. His feet and his ankles were made strong. And there's a miracle in itself. He leapt up. Nobody, he didn't have to go through physical therapy. He didn't, he didn't have to schedule for a therapist to come in and help him to learn how to walk again. Entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw it. They saw him walking. They saw him praising God. And they recognized him as the one who'd sat there at the beautiful gate, the eastern gate. And he was the one there begging for money. And now he is up walking, running, praising God. And that whole place was filled with wonder. And they were amazed at what had happened. Now, beside the physical healing that we read of, this is a great illustration of salvation. It's a great parallel to what happens when we become new in Jesus. But I want us to first examine the physical, and then we'll examine the spiritual aspect of it. What do we find? Number one, we find that this man, his feet and his ankles immediately gain muscle. Now, to you and I, that must just seem like something to say in passing. But if you think about it, this man had been laying his whole life and there was no muscles in his ankle and all of a sudden the Lord God moved and his muscles gained strength or gained muscles. Dead muscles build up instantaneously. The same thing happens in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus told the man to get up off his bed and walk. The muscles gained in his ankles. He got up immediately. Dead muscles brought to life instantaneously if there is there a spiritual connection there secondly we see him leap up and walk once he was made whole he jumped up immediately and then what did he do number three he headed to worship once he was changed by Jesus what did he do he immediately went to worshiping God he went to where he was already laying there outside of the house of God but now he can go into the house of God and can worship he was leaping and praising God. And number four, others recognized the change. Because of his physical healing, now others recognize this change and they are brought to amazement. So those are a couple of things physically, what we see of the man. Uh, there's a miracle that happens for sure. The man's legs were, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen legs where, that were, uh, where the muscles were um, in atrophy, but uh, there's nothing there. And now this miracle that is brought through the name of Jesus happened. And instantaneously, man, I, I, I can't, it's a little hard for me to gain muscle. But I wish sometimes I could speak to, to my muscles and gain muscles uh, uh, like that. But this miracle, this amazing thing that happened through the name of Jesus. And it demonstrates 
it is an illustration of spiritual transformation or being made alive by Jesus. And what are those? So I have a few things I want to share with you in closing of how this man being healed mirrors a spiritual transformation or dead men coming to life. Number one, he was born lame. Secondly, to that, we are born in sinfulness. He was born lame, and we are born in sinfulness. And what does that mean? That we were born in our sin, and we were totally dead. We were totally spiritually dead in the eyes of God. We are helpless, we are lame, and uh, we can't even help ourselves. The man laid there all the time outside of the temple, could not help himself. It was only until Jesus touched him and he realized his, uh, his, his plight. And we are born in that sinfulness, unable to help ourselves, unable to step to God, unable to grant ourselves salvation, unable to work for salvation or to make ourselves saved or redeemed. Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is He who does the work. Secondly, the beggar was totally destitute, which is kind of like the first one, born lame. We are born destitute. The uh, beggar was born destitute, but we are, or, or we were, or are completely deprived, and we are spiritually bankrupt. We got, we have, when we are born before Christ, there's nothing in the bank spiritually where God Almighty would say, yeah, he's one of mine. If Jesus has not, his righteousness has not been accounted to you, you are spiritually bankrupt. John 5 and verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. God does the work. God does the work. We describe this in a way as dead men walking. The walking dead, spiritually. Number three, the beggar was on the outside of the temple. And we were or are outside of God's favor. If we are outside of Christ, if we are not in Christ, what do we expect in return if we are not in Christ? We can expect the wrath of God and judgment upon sin. It has always been in God's economy, and if you will, use the word plan for repentance. For repentance. Everyone who ever existed, born outside of relation with the Lord, everyone who ever took a breath into this world was born outside of relation with God. We are not born Christians, by the way. We come out of the womb, we're not Christ followers. That is why we must be born again. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Four, the beggar was healed by the grace of God, and likewise we are also healed by the grace of God. If I was to highlight the verse from Ephesians 2.8, hopefully you'd know this by heart, where it says, It is by grace that you have been saved. It is not of your works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to boast about in salvation other than Jesus. I boast of nothing except for the cross of Christ. I boast of nothing. This man's feet and legs were brought alive by Jesus, by the, by the power of Christ. 
He leaps for joy and worships God. He is healed by the grace of God, and we are only healed by the grace of God as well. Lastly, the beggar gives evidence of his healing. So there's fruit to bear. There's some fruit that will be bared in a follower of Jesus' life. You will not stay the same. We give evidence of salvation. There's some fruit that will be bared. Some are better fruit bearers than others. Some have more fruit to bear in their maturity. Some will bear little fruit. Some bear no fruit. But a follower of Jesus will bear fruit. The very first thing that this beggar did once he was healed was go into worship. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say that this beggar bowed his knee and repented of his sin. That is always the core of the gospel is repentance from your sin. But in some regard, we could imply that if he went into worship, that this may have transpired. That at this point, it's just speculation, and we don't want to speculate, other than what the Bible tells us, that he went in and praising God and worship. He began to publicly proclaim this healing. Now, I want you to catch this. I don't want you to miss this, okay? That we are brought alive by the work of the Lord Jesus and by the power of His Holy Spirit. And if we are doing that, we are leaping for joy and worshiping God. Now, some people leap and worship God more enthusiastically than others. Um, But there must be something, I think, in the power of the Holy Spirit making us alive and bringing us to worship. Some people are more outward with worship. Other people are more somber in their worshiping. But it will at least bring us to a place of... Have you ever, have you ever felt the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus and inside you felt as if you were leaping for joy? Regardless of whether you swing from the chandeliers, <laughs> run up and down the aisles, or sit in your pew and weep before the Lord... There's something about Christ changing our lives that bring us to a place of leaping from joy outwardly or inwardly and worshiping God. In so many ways, we mirror this beggar, we mirror the evangelist. And if we are probably honest with ourselves, um, you know, as we look at both of them, we, we could be active in our outreach saying, look at us, hear our message. Um, Jesus is so much better than riches, so much better than the things that we can accumulate. It is a scary thing to see a man or a woman who has spent their whole life accumulating wealth and riches in the last breath of their life clenching on, wishing that somewhere that they had sought to hear the good news. Can't take them dollar bills with you. Hear our message, look at us. And then we see the beggar who once was lost, but now is redeemed by the work of Christ. And I would suspect to say that we are probably more like the beggar than we are the evangelist. If anything today, this message should bring us to a place of humility and grace, reflecting on that grace and worship to the Lord. Maybe even today it would be, Lord, use me some way. Let's, uh, let's pray together.